This Israel report is brought to you by the Blue Agency. Your Israel property is in good hands. Owning properties in Israel can be a great investment, but challenging to manage if you are based abroad. The Blue Agency will manage every aspect of your property, finding and vetting tenants, maintaining your property and getting it rental ready, negotiating contracts and collecting rentals, reporting back to you regularly. The Blue Agency has built a reputation for trust and confidentiality over 20 years. The Blue Agency, your Israel property is in good hands. Contact us at www.thebueagency.com. The Israel Report for the latest news and insights with Anthony Reich. Good morning, Anthony. Day 88 of Operation Swords of Iron. How are you holding up? Okay, tough. Um, yeah, we are holding up. We're trying to be tough. Um, there's still a lot of emotion uh, in the situation. And um, I think it's going to take us a long time to get over the events, uh, not only of October the 7th, but indeed things that have happened subsequent. Um, And the the first little snippet that I wanted to start with is just uh, another piece of evidence as to why we're still really, really going through some tough times. Um, And this is the story of Amichai Oster, who was 24 from Karanesha Moron and whose death was announced yesterday by the IDF. Apparently he was fighting in northern Gaza when he was killed. And um, he was traveling in the US. He comes from a family who originate from the US and he was actually traveling in the US when the war broke out. And he's one of those people who cut his travels short to come back to Israel in order to sign up to the IDF and to join his reserve unit so that he could join the war effort. And unfortunately, his death was announced yesterday. Um, And he's just one example of the commitment, the levels of Zionism that we're seeing um, in so many of our soldiers, many of whom have come back from abroad, cut short whatever their plans were. The university year finally began the day before yesterday, having been delayed since late October when it was supposed to have started. And there are still so many students who are in the reserve, doing their reserve duties that they couldn't uh, sign up and begin their semester along with the rest of the students. And so special arrangements are having to be made for those students who are still not able to join the university courses. And again, it's just a sign of the commitment that we're seeing from so many avenues within our society, so many people are so committed to this cause. There was another story, a little snippet that I wanted to talk about, and that's the story of Shani Gabai. Shani Gabai was um, 24 years old and was at the Reim Music Festival when the October the 7th massacre took place. And until quite recently, um, it was assumed that she was captive in Gaza. And then a piece of jewelry was found in the mess, in all the the debris that has been discovered and that has been sifted through in the belongings from that rain site. A piece of jewelry was found that caused her family to question whether she is still alive and whether in fact she is captive in Gaza. And from that point, Um, There were a number of activities that were undertaken, including 
the exhumation of a body that had already been buried, a victim from the Reim party, only to discover that in that grave were mixed uh, body parts, including those of Shani Gabai. And so now their fa the family has been advised that she is no longer alive. And there was some mix up in terms of the fact that her body was seems to have been mixed up with somebody else's body and buried in one single grave. And as a result of that, we weren't able to determine exactly what her fate was. According to the story that uh, we have um, been told about her, she apparently was shot at that festival as a number of people were. And yet she managed to escape into an ambulance that was at the site along with a number of people. And they thought that they were safe inside the ambulance having already been injured. Um, and then a rocket propelled grenade was used to fire at the ambulance, incinerating everybody who was inside. Yeah, and that, that apparently too. is where Shani Gabai lost her life. Um, her body parts have now been discovered adequately for her family to uh, understand and accept that she is no longer alive and she is not one of those who is missing, uh, kidnapped in Gaza. But um, the point that I'm, I'm trying to make from the story is that there are so many pieces of this puzzle that are missing from the picture. We still have so many elements of things that we're discovering. There is still a lot of work that's going on to sift through all the belongings of people um, that was left behind at Reim from the massacre that took place at the music site and so many other places. Some of the residents of Southern Israel are now beginning to return back to their places of their, their homes. Some of the homes, many of the homes don't exist anymore, but they are sifting through the belongings that remain there and trying to determine and work out what their future holds um, in, in the aftermath of the events that took place on October the 7th and beyond. So um, unfortunately, there is still a lot of water to flow under this bridge about understanding exactly the magnitude of what went on and the fate of so many of those people who were involved. Um, and we are slowly but surely coming to terms, first of all, getting to understand what happened, and then, of course, coming to terms with uh, those events. So two very, very sad stories just to indicate the sort of things that we're having to go through each and every day at the moment. Um, even though some months have already passed since the massacre and of course the war's been ongoing for some time uh, and yet we are still having to learn and understand about exactly what went down. Yeah, and uh, you know, Anthony, the tragedy is that in some cases the best case scenario is to hope for the death. Um, mm. When you hear about what's happening to the hostages from the reports from hostages that have been released um, death is preferable and, undoubtedly and that's, um, and that's, and that's the tragedy of it um, I, do, I do agree and it sort of reminds me a little of um, the reaction um, of, of the father of one of the girls who was taken hostage um, when he said I hope that my daughter has been killed it turns out that she wasn't. She was alive and she's suffering a great deal, having returned back through the, um, through the hostage exchanges. But um, um, there, is, there is a lot of work to be done. Even those people who were released in the very early part of the hostage exchange 
suffered a great deal. Um, so yes, um, I very much understand the point that you're making. Yeah. Um, all right. Let's let's change our focus a little bit, only slightly though. Rockets fired from Syria towards Israel yesterday. Why is that significant? I thought it's been happening all the time. Well, it hasn't really been happening all the time because really Israel's northern border has been attacked more from Hezbollah from the Lebanese side rather than from Syria. Yes. But over the last few days, we've seen one or two quite interesting things happen. And um, first of all, the day before yesterday, we saw drones that were fired from Iraq and they came across Jordan towards Israel. Um, these are, drones apparently were fired by Iranian-backed Iraqi militia from Iraq across, jo uh, across Jordan towards Israel. Uh, both of the drones were actually downed by the um, Israeli Air Force. Um, we're not exactly sure what happened to one of them. Apparently one was downed outside of Israeli airspace, so we assume that it was either over Syria or over Jordan, but we're not exactly sure about that. The other drone had actually already entered Israeli airspace from Syria mm. when it was downed by an Israeli Air Force uh, fighter jet. Um, and yesterday we saw a number of missiles being fired towards the Golan Heights from Syria, which has not really been a feature of the war that we've seen up until now. Um, fortunately, all of those missiles landed in open spaces and, and there was no and there were some injuries actually reported there were some um soldiers who were injured by some of the um uh, missiles that were fired yesterday lightly injured we understand um but of course israel has retaliated um very vehemently uh, to those missiles that were fired from syria and there's no the gloves are all off there's no um treatment there's no soft treatment in terms of um, dealing with the source of these missiles that are being fired, whether they be from Syria, whether they be from Lebanon. Um, I don't think that this really represents a major upscale in the war uh, on the northern border and particularly against Syria. We do know what's happening in Syria, that there are many renegade groups running around, including representatives from Hezbollah and uh, representatives from Hamas. Um, so uh, it comes as a little surprise. And of course, Syria is a little bit of a wild west at the moment. There's no a control over um, activities, particularly in that area of southern Syria, where Iran is very, very uh, substantially represented. Many, many people, um, Iranian representatives in that area, also arms and ammunition that's been brought from Iran, no short, shortage of supply of, of all of that stuff. So it comes as a little surprise, I suppose, that that has happened. Um, and all of this comes against the backdrop of the IDF statement that they are going to be scaling down activities in Gaza and, and working slightly differently. And yet, ironically, yesterday reports from within Gaza suggested that there was actually a major upscale in IDF activities, particularly in, in southern Gaza yesterday. Um, this is uh, reports coming mainly from the Gazan side rather than from the IDF reports. Um, but certainly um, the war in Gaza is far from over and that's going to be ongoing for some time. And we'll go through some very, very intense periods as Israel is very determined uh, to eradicate the infrastructure that Hamas is, has built in that area. Yeah. Um, Anthony, good news. We're going to end on this good news note. Is that the High Court of Justice struck down the reasonable reasonableness law. So in a nutshell, reasonableness law put the government above the law. 
basically. They could overturn any law that they found unreasonable. Um, so how did this happen? We haven't really seen a lot of um, reports about it. I mean, yeah, we had so, all those protests, so just to, just to go, got the war. Exactly, and this was all part of the judicial reform process, which was all before the war in a completely different era that some of us don't even remember. It was so long ago, at least yeah. three months ago. Um, and so um, this reasonableness law, yeah, I mean, in, in, in the previous uh, configuration, the High Court on a few occasions did decide to set aside a law that had been promulgated by the government on the basis that the law was unreasonable. The measure of reasonableness was up to the court to decide. It wasn't really something that was independently set out and the government decided that the court didn't need to be a party to the Knesset. The government felt that, that it was almost like not only was it fighting the opposition in the Knesset to pass the law, but once the law had been passed, it had to be found reasonable by the court, uh, the High Court of Justice. And so the government enacted a law which said the High Court of Justice is not entitled to set aside laws that they find unreasonable. If they conflict with other laws, that's a different story. But if they are unreasonable, then the High Court of Justice cannot set them aside. And this particular point, ironically, was brought to the High Court of Justice. And at the time, even before the war, it was decided that all 15 judges on the High Court of Justice will sit on this point. And that took place yesterday. The judgment was handed down yesterday by 15 justices. Here's the bit that's really, the two really elements, I know we don't have a lot of time to talk about it, but the two elements that are really interesting about this. The first of which is that the court decided that in spite of the ongoing war in the background, they would still sit and discuss this and make their decision, which some people feel was a little inappropriate and the timing not very good. But here's the second part which I find fascinating that the law was set aside by the High Court of Justice in a majority decision of eight judges to seven. Wow. So this is by far not sure. unanimous sure. by the High Court of Justice. This was very much controversial and it rested upon the decision of only one judge in the High Court of Justice. It was one either way. So this was really something that is not a foregone conclusion, even at the level of the High Court of Justice. Wow. And I think that that, for me, was more interesting than the fact that they decided to set the law aside at all. We have to talk about this and unpack it tomorrow, Anthony. There's no question um, in my we mind. Will be talking about the, we will be talking about this a lot more, not only tomorrow, because I think this is very significant. Sure. Um, and uh, um, so we will certainly be talking about this. Anthony Reich, it is always a pleasure speaking to you. Thank you so much. And uh, look forward to speaking to you tomorrow. That Israel Report was brought to you by the Blue Agency. Your Israel property is in good hands. Hi, it's Barry Cohen from the Blue Agency. Israel is currently facing one of its biggest challenges ever. All of Klal Israel is praying for the safety of our soldiers and the return of the hostages. We hope and pray that our soldiers and security forces will prevail and that they will all return home speedily and triumphant. We hold the hands of our clients and friends who have children serving in Sahal who are protecting Israel and Jews around the world. May Hashem protect us all.